And now it is time to feed on the Word of God and to love on the God of the Word. And so I am honored this morning to begin a new series that I'm very excited about. And this series that will take us from this Sunday all the way through the end of 2020 is called Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We're playing on the word Christmas, and we are inserting mess in the place of mass. Because I thank God that although we find ourselves in a mess of a situation, we have a Christ and a God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. As a matter of fact, he will join us in the mess. And he will love us there and lead us out of the mess. Because I know that this year has been a challenging year. I know so many pastors started off the year speaking about a 2020 vision. And uh, usually everything is positive about what they're going to do in 2020. But I guess no one really had the vision to see all of the challenges that we would be faced with in this year. This year that has already seemed like it's been five and ten years long. Uh, we are just in the middle of November. And so this morning I want to begin this series of Merry Christmas with a message entitled, A Messy World. That's right, a messy world. Because as of today, November 15th, we are fastly approaching a quarter of a million deaths caused by the coronavirus. And we are also dealing with the results of an election where the current president is refusing to concede to the results of that election. We're in a messy world right now, I tell you, and this divide that we see in our country that has existed between Republicans and Democrats, and even between Christians, uh, evangelicals, and Protestants within the body of Christ, black Protestants and white evangelicals, we see that there is a great divide, making the mess even messier. But I'm so glad today that as we're going to see that our Lord came because of mess. He came because of my mess, and he came because of your mess, and he came because of the mess that's in this world. As a matter of fact, he doesn't shy away from mess. He shines his light and his grace on mess. And so I think we all need a word of encouragement right now because if you're like some people that I know, once Halloween ended on October 31st, there were people on November 1st who was claiming it as Christmas season. Christmas season began on November 1st, and one of those people is raising her hand right now in our uh, sanctuary that has no one in it, but the, the lady who just gave the offering, Felicia, Felicia Mason, she is one who uh, began celebrating on November 1st for the Christmas season. And I know she's not alone. My sister in Baltimore, Maryland, who's watching, Kathy, yes, she, she began celebrating the Christmas season on November 1st. And people like Felicia and my sister Kathy, they got excited about the Hallmark movies that were coming. 
And, uh, and so they began to, to just get their schedules ready to watch these Christmas Hallmark movies. And so I know that there are people who want and need the Christmas season because of what it brings to all of us, and that is hope, joy, and light. So let me pray for the word, and we'll get into the word today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share and to teach your word. We need to hear from you every day, especially on Sunday. We need a word from you to fill us, a word from you to stabilize us, a word from you to give us joy, a word from you to give us hope. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to use the word that you authored to minister to the hearts and lives of your people, starting first and foremost with me. I thank you, Lord, for the things you've taught me this week in the study. I pray that those things and more will come out of my mouth as I preach and teach, that your people can walk away today with greater understanding of the Christ who joins us in a messy world, but also, Lord, with a greater sense of hope and encouragement in the midst of this messy season. We thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, 2020 has been a long and laborious year. But thank God we are in a new season. And although there are some people who are wanting to claim the Christmas season early, I have to remind them that based on the liturgical calendar, Advent does not technically begin until November the 29th, and it goes all the way through to December 24th. So we didn't jump the gun a little bit, <laughs> but it don't matter because, again, we need the hope and the light that Christmas reminds us of. Because when we think about Advent, we're talking about celebrating the Christ who came, celebrating the Christ who came. But also when we think of the season of Advent, we're also anticipating the Christ who will come. So we're talking about his first coming and his second coming. And so when we think about the Christ who did not leave us alone in this mess, who came and who is coming again, that gives us hope. And so that's why some of you have already started putting decorations up. That's why last night one of my neighbors already had their Christmas tree ornaments up outside of their house because of what this season means. I was walking Lulu the other morning, and one of my older neighbors on my block has two Christmas trees in their house, because I could see through the window that, that it was already lit up. And so again, people are rushing to this season, and I don't blame you. We got our first Christmas card in the mail yesterday from uh, Deaconess Loretta and her family, and it was, it was just good. So, so she was the first one to send out the Christmas card, and we got it. And, uh, and then some of y'all have also tried to get up into Walmart and Target to get that PS5. And uh, <laughs> you weren't too successful getting that PS5. But, but it's this time of year, the, the, the joy that's in the air, the fact that people are thinking about other people, how to give to them. Uh, uh, Christmas, for many of us, is our favorite time of year. And while we think of Christmas as the coming of Christ, Christmas is also the season of light. It's the season of light. 
You see, the birth story of Jesus was filled with tremendous darkness and tremendous light. So if you stick with me over the next several weeks, I'm going to show you how dark and depraved the world was in which Jesus was born into and how dark and depraved the people were that Jesus chose to use, God chose to use in order to bring light into the world. So as we find ourselves in a messy and dark season right now, Christmas is going to hit a little bit differently this year with a little bit more impact where we're not going to be so focused upon gifts and lights and trees, and that stuff has its place. But I think God is going to bring us back to a place where we are going to really thank him all the more for the fact that his son was born into this place, into this mess, into this darkness to give us light, to give us hope, and to give us a future. It's going to hit a little bit differently this year. It's going to mean a little bit more this year, especially for those of us who can't travel and be with family, especially for those of us whose finances have been hindered and, and, and they can't do the things that they would normally like to do. So Christmas is going to be stripped down, which is not a bad thing. Because if we can see Jesus a little bit clearer, if we can get closer to Jesus and be a little bit more nearer, my goodness, I think great things can happen in our lives in this season. You see, 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied to that dark world in which he was living in that the light was coming, that a great light was coming in the midst of the gloom and the darkness and the pain. 800 years before Jesus came, the prophet said, the light is coming. So I want us to see a few things today from Isaiah chapter 8. Turning your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 8, and then we'll get into chapter 9 also this morning. But I'll begin reading at verse 18. And I want us to see the first point today, and that is I want you to see the prophet and his family. I want you to see the prophet Isaiah and his family. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. So there the prophet says, my family and I, we, we are signs to the people. Because a prophet was not just someone who would speak with his mouth, what thus saith the Lord. So often a prophet was someone who had to model with his life what thus saith the Lord. They were not only speaking billboards, oftentimes they were walking billboards. And what we're going to see here today is that Isaiah's ministry that lasted for a span of approximately 53 years, speaking first and foremost to the southern kingdom of Judah, that his ministry not only impacted him, but his ministry impacted his family. So as I talk about Isaiah and his family, I hope you pray for me and my family. And if you attend another church and you're watching, I pray that you pray for your pastor and his family because it has bearings on us. When, when, when the pastor, when the leader has the mantle of leadership on him to represent the Lord, to speak for the Lord, um, there are things that affect and impact the family as well. 
And so Isaiah, he says, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are signs and wonders in Israel. So as I mentioned about Isaiah, uh, he's the son of Amos, and he preached and prophesied for approximately 53 years uh, to the southern kingdom. Uh, for those who may not recall, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms in 931 B.C. once Solomon had died and his son Rehoboam took over. The kingdom split between north and south. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes went to the south. And so for hundreds of years, there was this great divide in the nation of Israel. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria, and the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. And Isaiah was the prophet to the southern kingdom. But here's the deal. He not only ministered to the king's Uzziah and Ahaz and uh, Hezekiah, but he would also minister to the kings in the north. And he is a prophet who has this unique distinction. He prophesied both the captivity of the northern kingdom and the captivity of the southern kingdom. He said before the Assyrians came on the northern kingdom, they were coming. And he said before the Babylonians came on the southern kingdom, they were coming. As a matter of fact, he lived long enough to live through the uh, Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom, but he did not live, obviously, long enough to see the Babylonians come, but his word did come to pass. And so he was a, a powerful minister. Now, here's the deal. He had a fresh uh, uh, awareness of God. He saw a vision of God in the year that King Uzziah died, and that's found in Isaiah chapter 6. And based on John chapter 12, when Isaiah says he saw the Lord, we know based on New Testament revelation, he ended up seeing Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate glory in the temple with the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 based on John chapter 12. And the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Because the one God is plural in his essence. He is one God, yet he is distinctly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll hit a little bit more of that in a moment. And he says, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. So his ministry is about to go to a whole nother level now because God is going to clarify his mission. And God is going to say, I want you to preach to people who though they see, they won't understand what they're seeing. I want you to preach to people that though they're listening, they won't comprehend what they're hearing. So Isaiah was like, what kind of mission is this? That I'm going to talk to people who don't want to listen? Uh, Lord, how long do I have to be on this mission? And the Lord says to him, basically, until a remnant emerges. The majority of the people will not get with you or your message, but a remnant will hear you, hear me speak through you to the nation. So you preach, don't give up, because the masses are not following you. You hang in there because there will always be a remnant who will believe the truth. And so that was his ministry. And he has a wife. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, that his wife is called the prophetess. Now, she might be the prophetess because she's married to the prophet, or she might be a prophetess because she also had a ministry of delivering the word. But she's called the prophetess. 
But then also we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that Isaiah's wife is also called the virgin. When the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is what Matthew picked up on when he wrote his gospel, and he equated the, the prophecy that Isaiah gave to Jesus Christ being born of the Virgin Mary. But here's the deal. Isaiah's wife was not a virgin because by the time that prophecy is made in chapter 7, they already have a child. And so virgin in the Old Testament can not only speak of a, a woman who has never had sex, but it can also speak of a woman or a wife who is a maiden or a young woman. And so based on the Hebrew, again, we're speaking of Isaiah's wife having their second child. So Isaiah is married to the prophetess, who's also called the virgin, but also known in that culture as the maiden or young woman. Their first son is named Sheer Jashub. <laughs> Sheer Jashub. So they didn't have uh, uh, the freedom to name their child Isaiah Jr. Because as a prophet, God is saying what the child's name is going to be because the child's name is going to speak a word to the nation. So Sheer Jashub means a remnant shall return. That's Sheer Jashub. So whenever they would call Sheer Jashub to come into the house after playing in the mud, Sheer Jashub, come on in. Uh, dinner is ready. Uh, the people in the community would hear a remnant shall return. And this is Isaiah's ministry to the point where you hear mercy. You hear mercy because his ministry is wrapped in judgment and mercy. But Sheer Jashub represents mercy, meaning what? That even though Israel would go into captivity, a remnant would remain. Even though they would get in trouble because of the stuff they did wrong, God is merciful and he allowed a remnant to return. And we see this especially with the southern kingdom when they went into captivity for 70 years to Babylon, that God allowed them to come back to the land, a remnant return. And that remnant is important because from that remnant, the Jews were not eliminated after the Babylonian captivity. God kept them alive because out of that remnant would have to come the son of David. Out of that remnant would have to come the Christ. And so we see mercy, mercy from God, sheer but then their second son, who is found in Isaiah chapter 7, when, when God told him, go ahead and sleep with your wife, the maiden, the virgin, and you're going to have another child. And again, you don't get to name this child either. I'm going to name this child, and this child's name is going to be called Maher Shahalahashbaz. Oh, my goodness. You hear them names? Sheer Jashub, Maher Shahalahashbaz? So when they're calling Maharsha hella hash pass to come into the house and eat breakfast or eat dinner, uh, that it's time to stop playing, his name means hasten to the plunder. So when the Jews heard his name called, that was a call, a signal that there was to be a hastening to the plunder. What does that mean? Well, unfortunately, that speaks of judgment. What do I mean by that? Today, we're going to see that the Assyrians, when they defeated the northern kingdom, they hastened to the plunder of the Jews. And when the Babylonians came down on the southern kingdom, they hastened to the plunder or to the spoils of what was in the temple. They stripped the temple of its gold and, and they took the plunder from the people of God. So this speaks of judgment in the form of this child's name, that there would be a plundering 
of the Jews. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Now, as I mentioned, Maharshalahashbaz, he's the second child who uh, he is, uh, Isaiah is told to go into your wife and the virgin shall conceive. This is the same passage that Matthew used to point to the virgin birth or the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. So, so, and, and then he said, uh, uh, this child will not only be called Maharshalahashbaz, but also Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Well, if there's judgment, how is God with us? Well, you better thank God that he is with you in the midst of judgment because the fact that he's with you allows the remnant to return. So I don't know what you're going through today. What you done brought on yourself, God is with you. I don't care what judgment you find yourself under, God is with you. As a matter of fact, if you know Jesus, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so no matter how bad the problem may be, grace shows up and superabounds over the problem in the person of Emmanuel, God with us. We appreciate Emmanuel because we understand the judgment that we are supposed to incur because of our disobedience. Just like the Jews, they were suffering because of their disobedience. We suffer because of our disobedience, but still God steps in in a merciful way and says, wait a minute, hold up. I'm not going to let you uh, get the full requirement of your sins. Matter of fact, my son is going to take the full requirement of your sins. He's going to grace you as he takes your judgment upon his body. Thank God for Emmanuel. Thank God for the Christmas season because it reminds us of who came to deliver us from judgment. And so we see the prophet and his family. But now we're going to see the darkness of the northern kingdom. Look at verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? to the law, and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So what we see going on here is that the northern kingdom, Israel, they were so duped by ungodliness and disobedience that the king began to lead them into idolatry. And they began to choose darkness instead of light, and they turn to demons and to witchcraft rather than to the one true and living God. And over in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the Jews are discouraged strongly from participating in the worship of the stars or what we would call today astronomy. And, and, and looking at the stars to try to understand what is going on as opposed to the one who made and hung the stars to understand what is going on. And so they are being led astray by demonic activity. Because in 732 B.C., Israel became an Assyrian province under King Tiglath-Pileser. So he took the northern kingdom in 732. They would be ultimately wiped out in 722 when they would be taken into captivity in Assyria. But he came in 732, and with him, he brought his influence. And as he brought his influence, uh, the, the king in the southern kingdom was contaminated 
by the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, to the point where he wanted to build a shrine back in Jerusalem like the one he saw in Damascus that was built by Tiglath-Pileser. Matter of fact, he wrote down a description of what it looked like, sent it back to Jerusalem so that his priest could get this, the drawing, make that same kind of altar in Jerusalem so that by the time he got back, there was a copycat altar from Tiglath-Pileser in Jerusalem. So rather than going into the house of the Lord, they're going to this altar and they're bringing out the bronze altar from the temple of God to, to, to sit in front of this false demonic temple. So that's how deep they had gone. So when he says in verse 19, they're seeking mediums and wizards and when they should have been seeking the testimony or the word of God, uh, uh, there is no light in them because they are giving themselves to dark forces. Verse 21, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, because whenever you work with the devil, your life is gonna be hard-pressed and you're gonna lack. And it shall happen when they are hungry and that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. So rather than repenting, they're cursing God. Verse 22, then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. So they're in a messy world, a dark world, a demonic haven that they brought on themselves because rather than going after the light of the world who is God, they went after darkness, which is Satan. And they brought all of this stuff upon themselves and they did not repent. It was a messy situation for the northern kingdom. And unfortunately, the southern kingdom didn't learn from the mishaps and mistakes and errors of the northern kingdom. Her sister, she continued on into her own sin as well. It's a messy, messy world. But verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1 starts with the word, Nevertheless, oh, I tell you what, nevertheless is grace. Nevertheless is mercy. Nevertheless is God not giving up on a people who gave up on him. Nevertheless is God turning his face to a people who turned their backs to him. Nevertheless, it is a shift. And we better thank God for nevertheless. Because the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. None of us seek after God. None of us understand. God must seek after us. Nevertheless, y'all are in darkness. Y'all created this darkness. Y'all are worshiping the devil. Nevertheless. Why? Because there was a promise, promise that a remnant would return to the land. So, so God is saying, look, I'm going to keep my word to you because I'm going to keep my word to my servant, David. When I said to David that there will be a person who will sit on your throne forever. So the reason why I won't totally destroy y'all is because I'm going to keep my word that I made to David about the Messiah who was going to come and save y'all in the midst of this mess. Nevertheless is a good news word. Nevertheless is a word of mercy and grace. And this is where now we begin to see the prophesying of the first coming of the Messiah darkness, here comes some light. <laughs> Hopelessness, here comes some hope. We done messed up, here comes some mercy. And the mercy and the light and the hope is found in a person, the Messiah. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. 
As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Stop and pause. What's going on here? God is saying that hope is going to hit the northern kingdom. Hope is going to hit this place that was devastated by uh, Gentile armies, the Assyrians. But God is going to redeem the place that is even known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and that's really a put down of the area. And even when Jesus walked the earth with his disciples, it wasn't cool to be from Galilee because that was seen as a heathenistic place, a worldly, ungodly place. And that's why they didn't understand, as I'll, I'll hit it in a moment, that Jesus, although he was born in Bethlehem in the south, he was raised in Galilee in the north, and they didn't want to accept him nor his apostles who were fishermen by the Sea of Galilee because of where they came from. The people down south put a holy nose down on the people from the north. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is going to redeem that place because of his presence there. Thank you, Jesus. And so what we see now in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So the north, which is full of death and darkness, Jesus has now come into that area and walked among them as the great light. And Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he quotes, and Matthew loves to quote Isaiah. He quotes this to say that this is a fulfillment of Scripture that God's Messiah would minister and walk in Galilee. So as I mentioned, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was reared in the north, in Capernaum. And he uh, uh, began to preach his first sermon in Galilee, and that's when they tried to kill him after preaching his first sermon. But it was in that area that he, was, he grew up. Now, this area, as I mentioned, has been stigmatized by Jews in the south because of the influence of Gentiles on the area. So it's been stigmatized. But I'm so glad that Jesus went into an area to redeem it, even though other folks stigmatized it. Uh, that, that's why when they found out he was from Nazareth, they said in John 1, can anything good come from Nazareth? Or can anything good come out of that hood? So Jesus intentionally grew up and was reared in this particular community that was negatively stigmatized. And then not only that, Jesus the great light brought honor to this stigmatized area. Because folk in that area, I'm sure they got tired of getting put down. But when you have Jesus grow up in your hood, then man, that gives you again a little bit more self-confidence to know that the Messiah, he grew up here. He spent the lion's share of his time in Galilee. Because God has come not only to redeem our souls, but even to redeem our situations so, so that people can understand we're not junk, we're not throwaways, we're not castaways. The Lord has come and joined us in our history. I don't care where you're from, what side of the tracks you grew up on, whether you had a silver spoon or no spoon, the Lord joins you there and he erases the negativity and the stigmas that says you can't be anybody. You can be what God wants you to be 
once you recognize who God is. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from. And so right there in this area, Galilee of the Gentiles, Jesus walked, talked, and began to perform his first miracles. It reminds me of another king. Now, don't throw a shoe at me thinking I'm being blasphemous. It's just an illustration. But it reminds me of another king that was born in an obscure place called Akron, Ohio. And this king, named LeBron James, uh, grew to basketball prominence in the area and began to get national exposure because of the quality of his basketball game. And he ended up being the first selection in the year that he was drafted. He did not go to college. He was that good. He uh, went from high school straight to the pros, drafted by the hometown Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, now here's the thing, though. Uh, players do not want to play in Cleveland. <laughs> it's cold there. Brother Aubrey, I know, I know you love Cleveland. Sister Tony, I know you love Cleveland, but, but, but it's not an, a, a big attraction to bring top-tier athletes to Cleveland. But because that was his home, he said, you know what, man, I'm happy to be selected by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And although he took them to final after final, he just couldn't get it done. So he went on and took his talents where? To South Beach. And after winning the title over there in South Beach, and maybe two, I can't recall, he ends up going back to his hometown. And when he goes back, what does he do? He takes Cleveland to the championship, and they win a championship. And that city hadn't won a championship, I mean, in decades. So the king did some great stuff. But here's the deal, though. The king, LeBron James, brought honor to a city that usually didn't get any honor. The king, because of his presence there, brought a championship to a place that had not had a championship. And if a man can do that for a city, what can the Messiah do for Galilee? Man, he brought honor to the place. And he's the true king and the chosen one. So we see the first coming of Christ, that he was there shining a light. He was the great light in the area. Thank you, Lord. And that's why we have to think about when Jesus came the first time. The world in which he came into was a very dark and messy world. Not just Galilee, but I'm talking about the world, period. The world was dark. What do I mean by that? Well, we got to remember, and Jonathan is here. He's a Bible scholar. He studied the word. When Jesus came, there had not been a prophetic word from God for 400 years. So when Malachi closes in what we call the Old Testament, chapter 4, with a promise that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah comes, as a, he's going to come as a forerunner, when Malachi puts his pen down, no one hears a prophetic word for 400 years. And where there is no word, there is no light. So the whole area is dark and people are scrounging for light from God. Now, they have the Old Testament, but it may not have even been combined yet. So, so there's no prophetic word. There's no prophets walking around. So because there is no prophetic word, uh, there was also no national independence during this time. Israel was under the boot of Rome. As a matter of fact, 
once they went into captivity, they passed from the Babylonians to the Medes, Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. They are not the head, they are the tail, and they are being oppressed by all of these different Gentile regimes. So when Jesus comes, they are under oppression to the point that when Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says that there was a, 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 a census that was sent out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, Joseph and Mary had to make it back to his hometown in order to apply and register for the census. He couldn't say, no, I'm not going. He could have said, no, I'm, I'm rebelling. No, there were consequences and repercussions if the Jews did not submit to what the Romans said. So there was national oppression of the Hebrew and Jewish people. They did not have power in their own land. And even the king, King Herod, who was there, he was not truly Jewish. He was put in place by the Romans, and so they didn't have support from him. They surely didn't have support from Pontius Pilate, and so they had no power. But then thirdly, because there was no word and there was no national independence for this people, all kinds of factions rose up trying to provide spiritual leadership for the people. During this intertestamental period, you have the birth of the Pharisees. You have the birth of the Sadducees. You have the birth of the Essenes, and you have the birth of the Zealots. Four different spiritual groups to try to offer some kind of leadership to the people, but they all failed. The Pharisees came uh, emphasizing rules, regulations, and the law, but they were so hypocritical, they didn't even keep the laws that they created, yet alone the laws that God gave. And then you had the Sadducees, who there were certain supernatural things about God they did not believe. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They leaned towards a liberal base, whereas the Pharisees leaned to be more conservative. The conservatives didn't help. The liberals didn't help. And then you had the Essenes. They were so spiritual. They said, we're going to go live in the desert out there in the hills of Qumran, and we're going to make sure we take care of the word of God, and we're going to pray for change. And John the Baptist may have been an Essene based on the fact that he was in the desert and how funky he was dressed with the camel clothes and his hair not cut and all that good stuff as a Nazarite. He may have been an Essene. But then there was another group called the Zealots, and this was a band of brothers who said, we are going to uh, uh, create tyranny, and we're going to take back the nation by force. And so there was a whole lot of bloodshed that the Zealots produced against the Romans. So all these groups were there, and nobody was really leading. And that's why we needed the leader to show up at this time and provide hope for everyone. And, and the way he came the first time as a lamb, that he came not to deliver Israel from Rome, but to deliver the world from sin. And because of that, they missed him because they were so wanting political freedom just like a lot of people I know today. They, they, they're so politically driven. Everything's about politics that they're missing the king and what he's doing. And many times he's not going to show up by force. He will show up in a very subtle, humble, loving way. And if you have ears to hear, you can tune in to that lamb that has a way of talking to you. So in the midst of that darkness and messy world, the light came. And into this messy and dark world. The light has come, and he is coming again. Thank God for the light. Now, um, I don't wear a lot of jewelry. 
I don't buy a lot of jewelry. I, I don't know if my wife is a jewelry kind of lady. Do you need a lot of jewelry? No, you, you, you're pretty cool. Um, but, but the times when I have to buy jewelry, I realize that there are some distinctions. That, that when you buy real jewelry, or should I say valuable jewelry, you go to a jewelry store. Am I right? And if you go to a jewelry store, many times there is a police officer in the jewelry store because there are valuable things in the store. There are cameras everywhere. There are people, you know, dressed nicely. They're there to help you, all of that. And, and, and the stuff doesn't have price tags on it. You know what I'm saying? So you, that you won't see a tag next to that ring you're looking at or that diamond necklace or that bracelet because you're in a, a jewelry store. But then there is another place that sells jewelry, and that's in the kiosk in the mall. Well, y'all ain't hearing me. Uh, 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 it's in the mall. <laughs> and there's no police officer around this jewelry. There's no one dressed nice around this jewelry. And with this jewelry, you can see the price tag sticking out $19.99 for about uh, 12 feet of gold rope. All that stuff, right, in, in the jewelry store. And, and, and here's the deal. <laughs> that stuff is fake. The other stuff is real. I'm going somewhere. Because in the kiosk in the mall, they will shine a bunch of lights on the fake worthless jewelry to make it look like it's real. And because of all the lights, again, check it out next time you go. It's so many lights shining down, so it's got to sparkle. But if you buy that stuff and walk away with it, you're going to find out that it don't sparkle around your neck the way it sparkled in the display case at the kiosk in the mall. Why? Because it's removed from the light that made it sparkle. It's worthless. It's useless. It'll turn your neck green. Don't buy that stuff. Get the real stuff. I just came by here today to say that I'm like that worthless jewelry that's in the kiosk in the mall. And, and anything good about me is because of the light that's shining on me that causes me to sparkle, that causes me to shine. Ain't nothing good in me, but it's all about him shining on me in spite of me. And if you remove me from the light, I'm going to look like trash. If you take me away from the light, I'm going to look common. I'm not going to be too valuable. But because of the light, he, he helps this mess of a person named Chris Williams. Thank you, G. The light came into the world to save people from darkness. But thirdly and finally, I, I can't leave it at the first advent. I got to go where Isaiah went, and he didn't even know where he was going when he was giving these prophecies. That's the power of prophecy. Now we're going to see the second advent picking it up at verse 3. He says, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. All right, Pastor Chris, how do you know he's going into the second coming of Jesus? Well, when we come down in a moment to verses 6 and 7, when it talks about the government will be on his shoulder, that didn't happen in the first coming. That happens in the second coming. Okay, so, so, so he, he's shifting now prophetically from when he walked amongst the Gentiles in a messy world bringing light. Now he's going to talk about the government is going to be on his shoulders. And when Jesus comes back, things are going to change for the better in this dark and, and gloomy world. As a matter of fact, he's going to give you some illustrations here that when the Lord comes back, folk are going to rejoice. Who's going to rejoice? People who are harvesting. In other words, uh, farmers are going to reap. 
And a happy farmer is a farmer that reaps a harvest. So when the Lord comes back, you're going to reap a harvest of joy and peace. And then he says, and men who divide the spoil. And this is speaking of soldiers who, after they've defeated a country, they, they, they have a bunch of spoils from the victory. So again, when Jesus comes back, we're going to rejoice because there's going to be spoil for us. Uh, and then he says in verse 4, for, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. And what he's talking about here is that, that when a yoke is broken, this is speaking of a, of a prisoner who gets to go free. So when the Lord comes back, and, and this is prophetic imagery here, great things are going to happen for folks. They're going to go free if they have been bound. They're going to partake in the spoil and the harvest. And then in verse 5, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. So therefore, all the soldiers are going to get rid of their uh, uh, army clothes. And they're going to burn those things. They're going to be, there's going to be no more need to study war anymore because the Lord is back. The king is here, and he's ruling in Jerusalem, and he will rule on this earth for a thousand years when we combine Revelation 20 and what we see in Isaiah chapter 2. Jesus will come back and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, and God will lift up Jerusalem, and it will be a jewel in the midst of all of the cities and countries in, on the planet when Jesus comes back. And so when he comes back, for those of us who know him, man, we're going to be rejoicing like reapers who got a harvest, like soldiers who got the spoils, and like prisoners who's been set free. And then he says in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. So he takes me back to the first coming. The child is born. Uh, uh, and this also reminds me of his humanity. But then he goes and says, and unto us a son is given. And this speaks of Jesus' deity, that he is the eternal son, but it also speaks of his second coming, that when he came the first time as a babe, the second time he's coming back as a full-grown man, the son of the living God. He was the son of God in babe form, but now he's coming back as the lion from the tribe of Judah. He came the first time as a lamb to die, but now he's coming back as a lion to rule and to reign. The son is being given back to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That's why I don't get caught up in modern day politics every regime has been flawed every regime has had people who have come and gone but not with this king not with this regime that's why my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name on christ the solid rock i stand all else is sinking sand. So the government is going to be on his shoulder. Why? His shoulders are strong enough to bear the government of the world. And his name will be called Wonderful. You see that comma right there? Just stop him, Paul. Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. What a great king. What a great king. That this means he is full of awe, that he inspires you, that he is special, that he is one of a kind. He is Wonderful. He is full of delight. Not only that, he is counselor, comma. This means that he has the wisdom to minister encouragement and to rule justly. He is the counselor. He can give, give you what you need in your soul, and he can give you what you need in the courthouse. He's the counsel. He's the counselor. He is also the mighty God. And this means that Jesus has the power to execute his will and to be worshipped. 
Because when he came the first time, he executed his will, even though he, he limited the full expression of his deity by choice when he took on human flesh. And there were times people would worship him, and he allowed them to worship him, but other folk didn't understand why people would worship a man. They didn't know that that man was the son of man, who was also the son of God. Jesus never turned away worship. Worship belongs only to God, and since Jesus is God, he could receive worship. But back then, everybody didn't bow down to him. But I got to let you know, when he comes back for the second coming, everybody's going to bow down to King Jesus. Everybody's going to acknowledge his lordship, that he is the mighty God. Not only that, he then says everlasting father. Now don't let this translation fool you because Jesus is not the father and the father is not Jesus and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the father. These three are distinct, yet they are one. It is the mystery of our God. I do not want a God that I can figure out with my mind. I want a God who blows my mind from time to time. And in his essence, he is plural. In his essence, he is one, yet plural. It's a mystery, but it's true. And so when you see everlasting father here, the better translation is father of eternity, meaning that Jesus is the originator and the source of eternity, meaning that he is timeless. He is eternal. So this is speaking of the fact that the one on that throne, don't get it twisted, even though you can look at him and you can see that he looks like a man, he is eternal as the, or, or, or the, the father of eternity. Then he goes on to say, prince of peace, period. So when this king comes back, he is the prince of peace. And as I mentioned, we will study war no more. As I mentioned, we will put our swords into plowshares. And when, when the enemy, the devil, tries to get up an army to come against Christ at the Battle of Armageddon, we will be in that army riding on white horses as the redeemed of the Lord, but we won't have any weapons in our hands because he will destroy the enemy with the sword that comes out of his mouth. He will speak and the enemy will be destroyed. So I don't need any weapons because I'm riding behind the weapon who is the word of God. So that's whose team I'm on. Whose team are you on? Look, we can't lose with the stuff we use. I need to know what team are you on? I'm on team Jesus, baby. And I didn't choose him. He he chose me, and I'm so glad to be on Jesus' side. Thank you, God. He's the prince of peace. And then the Bible says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is why the black church sings, trouble won't last a whole ways. I don't know what you're going through right now. I know it's hard, but you need to know that this is not how it's going to be always because when he comes or when you go to him there will be peace whichever comes first you go to him or he comes back to earth there will be peace that will know no end so that's why we have hope in the life to come not so much all the time in this life i'm not living for this life i'm living for the next one and then he says upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How do I know it's going to happen? How do I know Jesus is coming back? How do I know he's going to rule and reign? How do I know God is going to make sure that it happens? <laughs> the nation of Israel won't make this happen. The American church won't make this happen. God will make this happen himself, that his son will be established as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. 
So the solution for a dark and messy world then and now is the coming of the Messiah, who's the light of the world. Yes, it's dark, it's gloomy. It was then, it is now. The solution then is the same solution now. The babe who came and the son who's coming back. Jesus is the light of the world. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, he proclaimed, I am the light of the world. I know we're talking about Christmas lights, but let's talk about Christ the light. I am the light of the world. And he who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when he said that, he had just saved a woman caught in adultery. I said she was in a mess. I said her life was a mess and the religious folk were about to kill her and stone her. But Jesus stepped in and said, if you, have, if you don't have sin, you throw the first stone at her. They had to walk away. Then he declared he's the light of the world. He said to the woman, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. The light stepped into her darkness, into the midst of a dark and messy situation and saved the day. And I'm here to let you know, I don't know what your mess is, but the light is here to step in and save the day. You know, in my house, I got night lights. <laughs> I got night lights in my house. I'm too old to not have night lights in my house. Walk around and hit your baby toe on a corner of a dresser or something like, oh, and then stuff come out your mouth that, you know. Hey. But anyway, 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 I got to have night lights in my house. And, and they're right by the stairs and they're different key points around my house. Because although it's dark, I need a little bit of light so I can see where I'm going. And I learned when I woke up this morning at 3 in the morning, because I was so excited to come and preach in this pulpit again, that my dog who sleeps in our bedroom on the floor... She sleeps by the nightlight. Oh, my God. She sleeps. Lulu sleeps by the nightlight because Lulu want to make sure if anything jump off up in here, I can see a little bit before I bite somebody in the toe. That, you know, so, so everybody need a little light in the night. Oh, Jesus is my nightlight. Jesus helps me walk through this world that is so dark and gloomy. He's my nightlight, and I need him in the midst of this place. That, that 2020 has been hard on us, but the light is here. We've got to look to him. We've got to lean on him. We've got to depend on him. We've got to walk in the light as he is in the light, and he'll take care of us in this messy world. Father, thank you for the intentionality and the precision of sending your son, the one who's the great light, the one who's the light of the world, the one who lights every man who comes into the world. You give us purpose. You give us humanity. But then, Lord, you want to light each and every one of us up with salvation. And if there's somebody here listening today and you don't know the light of the world and you are in moral darkness, you are in some mess and you need a savior, not just to take you to heaven, but to save you in your situation, to be with you in your mess. You need a deliverer. And there's no other deliverer I know other than Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. You must call on him. Ask him to come into your life and be your light. Come into your life and save you. Brothers and sisters, if you have prayed that prayer, if, if, you, if you have cried out to God saying, Lord, be my light, Jesus, save me. I pray you'll go tell somebody. 
I pray you'll lean over today and tell somebody that may be watching this with you, listening to this with you. I pray that you would email this church and just let us know so we can rejoice with you and the angels in heaven that you crossed out of darkness and into the marvelous light, that today is the day of salvation for you because you said, Lord, save me, Lord. Come into my life. Let us know. And if you are already in the light, but you realize, you know what, Pastor? I haven't been living like I'm a child of light. I've been trying to do this straddle the fence kind of thing, tipping back and forth in darkness. And I know we all struggle with different things every day in different ways. But there's nothing like fresh repentance to come to our senses and come back to Christ, to get out of that darkness and get into the marvelous light by way of practice and how we live. And so if that's you, I pray that you'll make whatever amends you need to make with your Lord, whatever you need to put down, put away, turn from, run from, whoever you need to get out of your life again, I pray that you will do that in the name of Jesus so that your witness would not be hindered because of your association in darkness and with darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless us in this messy time, that we would recognize we have hope, we have light, and we have life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sister Debbie and Elder Joe. He got the faith for 50. And, uh, and we serve a God who wants us to get 50. You know how I know? Because he likes feeding people. <laughs> he likes feeding people, and he likes turning a little bit into a whole lot. He, he likes to multiply fishes and loaves. And uh, so, yeah, let, let's serve the community, man, and let's get the word out. Let's pray that there will be some full bellies. And not only for Thanksgiving, we have been, uh, because of Debbie and Bob's uh, heart to serve the community, we've been feeding people week after week after week uh, into this pandemic. And, and that's no praise to us. We're just trying to be obedient to our master. Many churches are also feeding folk because, again, people are losing jobs. And, uh, and we want to make sure that we can help where we can help. And so let's also help folks for this Thanksgiving season. I know I jumped past Thanksgiving into Christmas, but uh, we're going to make sure we have Thanksgiving and there are people who could use a little encouragement. So we're going to get those 50 boxes. We'll see you here tomorrow at the church. You have the list that was sent out to you. Uh, 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 come on through and let's bless folk. All right, all right. Now it's time to receive the benediction and go out into this dark and gloomy world as people, we are not the light, but we represent the light. He is the light of the world, and he has also deputized his believers, his followers, his church to be junior lights of the world. And if for some reason your light is a little dim right now, let me, let me encourage you with this. You ever been to the circus, and uh, you, they, 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 the room is dark? And you see these little light rings all over the place. Kids are buying these light rings that glow in the dark, all these different colors. And, and, and I remember buying them for my children. And, uh, and it would glow, it would glow. But after a couple of days, the glow would die down. And I was ready to throw this thing away that I spent probably $10, $15 on, this little glow necklace. But somebody told me, no, Pastor, don't throw it away. Even though the light is dim, uh, uh, what you need to do is expose it to light. Put it under a lamp and let it sit there so that it soaks in the rays from the light and the lamp and it'll start glowing again. My God, if you've lost some of your glow, 
Get with the Lord, because in his presence, there's this fullness of joy. He rubs off on your countenance, all right? So, so get back close to him. Wrap around him. Amen. All right, let's receive the benediction. Lord, we thank you that you brought light not only to a dark world, but to dark folks, Lord, who were lost in our trespasses and in our sins. But because of your great love that you have for us, you made a way that we could not make for ourselves. Jesus, you offered your life in the stead of ours, the perfect one for imperfect people, the just one for folks who are unjust. You not only died for us, Lord, and paid our penalty in full, but you rose from the grave on the third day and you have filled us with your spirit and we are going on in your name and for your sake. So Lord, I pray that you would inflame us, that our light would increase because of our intimacy with you and that folks who are shrouded in darkness would be able to have conversations with us and they might ask, what must I do to be saved? And we can tell them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh God, there are hurting people out here right now but you are going to use a healed church to help hurting folk. So touch your people today. May we have our eyes open to people who need more than food, but people who need the bread of life. So Lord, use us in these last and evil days until you come or until we go to you to be warriors of light. And we promise to give you all the glory for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.